Hi, I'm Paul Havershoud, host of The Cost of Living. It's a show about money and how it shapes our lives. In big ways, like why inflation could get worse if we all make more money. Here's the hard truth in all of this. Workers are going to have to eat that real wage loss. And small ways, like what's the fastest way to order fast food? That first Big Mac that comes out of the kitchen is going to the drive-thru. Check out The Cost of Living. We're on CBC Listen or wherever you get podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. In the beginning, there were only two human beings in this world, a man and a woman. Welcome to Ideas. I'm Nala Ayed. The native trickster, however, is neither or both at one and the same time. For first and foremost, she, he is a shapeshifter. That is Thompson Highway, playwright, musician, and author, from the fourth of the 2022 CBC Massey Lectures. In his lectures, Thompson used storytelling, biography, and Cree mythology to explore five central pillars of our existence. Creation, death, language, humor, and sex and gender. Within the full circle of indigenous mythology, the universe is not divided into that which is male, female, and neuter, but according to that which is animate and that which is inanimate, that which has a soul and that which has not. That lecture took place in Vancouver, and while there, we gathered a panel of people to talk more about Indigenous conceptions of gender, sexuality, and queerness, and their own personal experiences. Harlan Pruden is Indigenous Knowledge Translation Lead at Chi Mimuk, an Indigenous health program at the BC Centre for Disease Control and also a co-founder of the Two-Spirit Dry Lab, and a former appointee to the U.S. Presidential Advisory Council on HIV-AIDS. I was so ashamed of being an Indian, and then me being a little sissy, little sissy queer boy. My family turned their backs on me, and then I was like, I turned my back on my own culture. I always think about the future. I'm one of the oldest cousins of that generation, so for them to be like, Sasha's doing it. I can do it too. Sasha Mark is originally from Winnipeg and is an activist, a stand-up comedian, and a teacher at Vancouver's Blind Tiger Comedy, as well as a former contributor to APTN's The Laughing Drum. I have a lot of friends and, and all kinds of genders. You know the words I like best? Are the bisexuals. Yeah. Oh my God, they're so much fun! <laughs> it is, it is. And that, of course, is Thompson Highway. From the Vancouver Public Library, here is the first part of our conversation. Harlan, I'd like to start with you, if if we could, please. You identify as Two-Spirit. What does that actually mean to you? Two-Spirit, first of all, is a the way that I understand it. It is a way in which that we can identify, organize, and name uh, Indigenous people to Turtle Island who are gender and or sexual minorities or the diversity that existed. And so when I was introducing myself, I said niha ayakwe. In our word, ayakwe is what we would say is two-spirit. It translates into two-spirit. Where I didn't say I was man, niha nepwe, nor did I say I was a woman, iskwea. 
I said I was two-spirit. And so it is our gender and uh, non-binary conceptions of gender. Some nations had two genders, some had three. Some nations and some people had 12 different genders. And so for gender, is, um, it is your role within society. It's socially defined. And so two-spirit is going to mean something different, your role within society, if you're Anishinaabe, if you're Dene, if you are Navajo. And so there's no one way of being two-spirit. A Cree, our role was distinct from someone who was maybe Sioux. And so that's why two-spirit, if it's positioned as an, an endpoint and identity, it doesn't make sense. A Yaque is the identity. And it is the reclamation, the defining of those roles um, within our society, within these traditional conceptions. And so very simply, and this is really crude and I'm distilling it down, men hunted, women gathered for us as Crees. And so we just had different roles as two-spirit people. And so what we were doing is we provided a mediation role. Men weren't allowed into women's camp. Women weren't allowed to men's camp. Us as a Yaque, we could float back and forth between both camps. And so we just had a different role within society. And it didn't make us better. It didn't make us less than. It was just the honoring of the diversity of different roles within our societies. And so similarly, every nation that had a two-spirit and a tradition a two-spirit tradition or these non-binary conceptions of gender, they just had different people or different camps that had different roles. Like men hunted, women gathered, we mediated. Um, where first, that's going to mean something different if you're Sue, because you have a different conception of what is your role within society. And so I've collected about 130 words. Right now I'm working with the Stolo Nation. Um, in the reviving of their word. Two years ago, I got the word in Nuchalnath. I got in Gwasala. And these are indigenous communities here in, that we would refer to as British Columbia. It's been about 75 years since those words have been shown within a public discourse. And I remember doing a talk in this incredible elder, Lillian Howard, uh, who's Nuchalnath and Kwakwakikwakin. And, um, and she came to me with tears in her eyes. And, she's, and she goes, you know, I really wish that my relatives would have known of these new Chelneth words before they took their life. These, light, these words are like medicine because it's a reminding that we predate Western concepts and notions like lesbian, gay, bisexual, queer, that our knowledges are come way before that. And we were honored, lifted up, and we had honor, respect, and dignity within our respective nations. That gets right to the heart of one of the main concepts that I took away from the chapter on sex and gender that you wrote, Thompson. And I'm wondering if you could speak to, you, you said that the English language and the Western tradition isn't very good at expressing certain things about Indigenous ways of thinking and certainly not about gender. What limits are there in English to describing who you are and your sexuality? Well, first of all, there is, there is no gender in the Cree language. The, the word he and the word she do not exist. So theoretically, we're all he, she's. And even God is a he, she. Which is, what the, which is the problem we had when he first arrived here in 1492. The question we had for him theoretically is, why did you come alone? Where's your wife? Where's your girlfriend? Where's your mistress? Because God in, our, in, in the dominant society is male, 
heterosexual male, that leaves the rest of us out of the picture. We have no position. We have no place in that great design. And now we are in the process of regaining that, that position. We're in the process of asking back for it. And that is a position, and that is a position that, to, that is the responsibility that two spirit people uh, have been given. We're asking for it back. We're asking for our gender be gender, which is a sacred uh, gender, to be uh, given back its rightful place in the great design. We, uh, like as, as uh, our dear uh, colleague Harley here mentioned, traditionally speaking, heterosexual men were here to, uh, to hunt. Traditionally speaking, women were put on the planet to give birth. My mother had 12 kids. My older sister had 14 kids and so on and so forth. Well, we have the third gender. There's a third. See, in Christianity, there's only two genders, male and female, mm-hmm. and, and one holds complete power over the other. In our, in, in this, and it's a straight line. It's a phallic design. In, uh, in native spirituality, it's a circle. It's a yonic design, meaning vagina-like, womb-like. And, uh, and on that circle, heterosexual male sits on one side, heterosexual female sits on sits on the other side, and in between those two genders sit any number of other genders. On this side are the, are the women with men's souls, and on the other side are the men with the mm-hmm. souls of women, mm-hmm. which is who I am, mm-hmm. and proudly so. I, I would say people would have said in the olden days that I, I'm a woman trapped in the, in the body of a man, but that's not the case. Yeah. I am a, a diehard optimist. I am what I am, in actual fact, is a, is a, a man enveloped in the spirit of a woman. And that's mag- That's where magic comes from. So we're shaman. We're the ones who take care of the, the spiritual life of the community. That's our responsibility. We can't hunt, we can't give birth. So we, give, we, we uh, take care of the spirit of the community, mm-hmm. which is why we're the artists, the shaman, the visionaries. And that's our place. Thank you. It's a powerful, powerful place. Sasha, you identify as queer, if yes. I'm not mistaken. Does the term two-spirit mean something to you? Great question. For me, um, to me, when I think of two-spirit, I similarly, uh, I think about it as an umbrella term. You know, folks identify as two-spirit, but that identity comes from, you know, connecting with your communities, learning your traditions, learning the language, and uh, the systems that exist within your your nation. And so for myself, I think I'm on a journey still of figuring out where I sit with my identity. I don't count myself as two-spirit that could change um i also think it's a great way to keep like white people from calling themselves two-spirit you know like what nation are you from (laughs) (laughs) so if if i might stay with you for a minute actually are are you open to talking about what it was like for you what your family how open were they to you oh uh, not at all not at all you know i think i think my role in my family was very uh, mediator-like, you know, I had to teach my family members different things that they were never exposed to. Um, so first and foremost, uh, I came out to my family in a very weird way. I came out via stand-up, and I was doing a promo for a show I was headlining, and I was like, nobody watches the news. So I, I went on to the, the news segment, and I was there talking about my show. Our next guests are hosting a night of laughs right here in Winnipeg. It's the Queer and Present Danger annual The Headliners Show coming up. And this morning, local comedians... And it's a very queer show. And then I got a text later that day like, so your grandma saw you on TV. I was like, sick. All right, I'm not coming home tonight. Um, (laughs) But, um, you know, the reality is is that, yeah, my, my dad is, and to this day, very homophobic and transphobic. And... Him and I don't have a relationship together. Um, it's 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 gone. Uh, my dad 
grew up in this like weird position. So um, grandfather was very anti-native. <laughs> he grew up, he went to Catholic school and he passed that down onto my dad. And for them, all his siblings were confused, you know, mm-hmm. being native, being Catholic. My dad was very much a native man, but like had a very colonial understanding of the world. Yeah. What's it, be, what's it like to be the son who reclaims it? The son of a man like that who reclaims that identity? 100%. It's great. I think, I think I always think about the future. I'm one of the oldest cousins of that generation. So um, for me, um, if they can see somebody who is like queer and very open about it, I think it can provide space for them to be like, Sasha's doing it. And I think that's wonderful. And I can do it too. Harlan, may I ask you also to talk a little bit about your early life? When you were growing up, did you struggle? Did you have that same sort of struggle with your identity? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Sasha, um, of like the homophobia and the transphobia uh, that I experienced, but also the internal racism. I know in Wab Canoe's beautiful book, The Reason We Walk, I think is the title, he so poignantly points out that, you know, that Indian always had an adjective, like dirty Indian, mm-hmm. stupid Indian, drunk Indian. Growing up, I knew my place, and I was reminded on a minute-by-minute basis, both from the colonizers and the settlers, but I remember being in the kitchen, and I was cutting carrots with one of my aunts, and a piece fell on the floor, and I picked it up, and I popped it in my mouth, and my aunt was like, don't be an Indian. Mm. These are the messages that I received, and so I was so ashamed of being an Indian, and then me being a little sissy, little sissy queer boy. And living in the shadows. And so when I came out when I was like 17 as gay, it was, again, my family turned their backs on me. And then I was like, I turned my backs on my own culture. Like there was no place for me there. And it wasn't until I went on to university and I was the first person in my family to go to university. Similarly, I'm the first person in my family to go to graduate school. um, That I then started this inquiry in my own healing journey. And... That, And I remember reading a book that talked about pre-Two-Spirit. Um, and I went to some of my language teachers. I learned under and studied uh, Cree, Nihyao, uh, Nihyao when, um, with the Memnuk sisters. And I went to the Memnuk sisters and offered my little tobacco and said, you know, here's this concept. Do we have a word? And Marjorie goes, oh, yeah, I can't remember it. And I was like, oh but we do have a word. And it's that inquiry that have like sent me on this journey of self-discovery of like understanding what a Yahweh is. And there's no way that I can understand what, a, what who and a Yahweh is until I start looking at this broader of like Nehyao and who am I as a Cree person? What are my sacred teachings? What is my purpose? Why am I here? And so it's this bigger package, and it was through my two-spiritness that connected me back to who and reminds me on a daily basis of who I am. Yeah. Where did you apprehend the history? Like, where did you, where were you able to learn the history of that term? Okay, so this is really awkward. <laughs> Only because it's an author, non-Indigenous, okay. Walter Williams' book, uh, Spirit in the Flesh. It was that book that I read that I was like, it sent me on this inquiry of like, this is where my work is. This is what my purpose is. And so for today, it is all of my fiber, all of my being is for me to work for better tomorrows for my two spirit relatives, as well as the indigenous queer, 
the LGBT, queer, non-binary, indigenous people so that they don't know or experience what I experienced growing up. And this walking in a place of hope that Sasha was saying, you know, so many people talk about resilience, but we actually don't ever, I've not heard people say, what is it? Mm -hmm. And for myself is for resilience is hope. If we do not think of tomorrow and think that there is a tomorrow and there's possibilities, then there is no resilience. And we know in the absence of hope, we know the consequences. That pretty much defines what you do now, isn't it? Yes. And the last thing, I just want to like thank um, Thompson in that you're absolutely right that we don't have these words and these concepts like gender. In that, um, and I, I, you know, it's an awkwardness because it's a clash of two systems. Two, like this is an epistemological Western colonial settler and indigenous and Nihau. And so, and so like when I often forget to say, what are my pronouns? Because my pronouns are anything that is said mindfully, respectfully, and with love. Because in Cree, we don't have a he, we don't have a she. The closest that we say for our third person singular is it. Mm-hmm. So to navigate and negotiate Western and colonial spaces and to hold that knowledge and that what we know is true live is to sidestep it, turn side and say anything that is said mindfully and respectfully. But when there is condescension, when there is anger, mm. and what I've hired to do is to not mirror it back. Because yeah. if I respond in hatred and respond in not kindness of my true sacred teachings, I am condoning the treatment that we as a, a native people, and sometimes it hurts that I must like respond with love mm. And kindness, which is true to my sacred teachings. And so when I'm misgendered or when I experience colonization, I must always respond in love because for me to attack is I'm condoning their behavior because I'm, it's how we walk is so incredibly important. And Thompson is absolutely right. We don't have these concepts, mm-hmm. but we have to provide this Western framework and this translational space And so, again, I'm fulfilling my two-spirit role, waffling between two camps, Mm -hmm. waffling between two systems. I'm interested, actually, if to get you, Sasha, to respond to some of that, the description that Harlan provides of these this constant clash to ways of seeing who you are. 100%. I think, I think in the you know, Western colonial world, folks want to see people and have it easily digested right away. They want to know and see somebody and be like, all right, I know, I know everything, but from what they look, it's 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 difficult for people to exist as like bisexual, um, biracial, um, just because uh, a lot of folks have difficulty identifying with folks with that. So then they just become nothing in in some people's eyes. You know, as somebody who is going through their own kind of like development journey through my gender identity and what that means for me, it is very limited. And so I'm curious what what comedy does to help you kind of express. Uh, oh, everything. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think if, for, for one thing that I always think about is that um, I was at a comedy show and uh, I was sitting outside and someone sat right beside me and they were like, Sasha, do you know why you're funny? And I was like, mm, what's up? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, you don't use like being queer as a crutch. And I was like, uh, so then it's, it's been my job and mission to be like very queer, very indigenous on stage to this day. Because at the end of the day, a lot of people 
in comedy don't look or sound like or talk about the things that I do, you know? Is everybody being please out for Sasha Mark, everyone? Please out for Sasha Mark, what a pleasure! Yeah, what a weird year, you know? I, I became a dad recently. Thank you, thank you. It's by accident, so you don't have to applause that hard. You did good, you know? <laughs> Yeah, it, it was really weird because it's like, you know, I, I use condoms, uh, my partner's on the pill, I only have gay sex, so it's just like, what happened? <laughs> uh, what happened is because uh, I became an emergency foster parent, so you can clap again, because like, I'm so nice, you know? <laughs> also, thank you, thank you, thank you. But I'm not, I'm not the greatest parent. I never really had a great dad growing up. I always say my two biggest disappointments in life was, you know, my dad leaving me at the age of eight, and the second being, the Wi-Fi here? <laughs> like, what if my dad tries to iMessage me, you know? Come on. Knock, knock. Who's it's not my dad, but maybe one day, you know? <laughs> Harlan, you're, right, you're writing something down. There's a couple, because I know that I really didn't address the coming out, because I think that part of it was when I came out was I 17, it was not a good experience. But then, like, in reflection with my family and with my broader community is, uh, and always opening up a space of generosity, is like, yeah, it took me from, I remember I was in grade one and I went to a pool and I saw a naked male form and I was like, shnikes, that's beautiful. I had no idea what sex, but I was just like, that form is beautiful, right? And so it took me many years to come out. And so for my, and I was hurt with my family's response, right? Because I made peace with myself, so the world has to make peace with it. And I think they had to go through a similar sort of coming out process. Mm -hmm. You know, and before my mother passed and transitioned to the spirit world, you know, we made peace. My sister and I made peace. My broader family have made peace, right? And, um, and so I, th I think we just have to be kind yeah. and patient of like, yeah, we've done all this work to say and being comfortable with who we are and with our skin. Mm -hmm. And it may take like the, your loved ones the same, if not a little bit longer, but being consistent and true to who you are, I think is key. And I know that within public health with at the BCCDC, you can have a cure for cancer, mm. but if you cannot communicate that out or you don't have a community in which that you can share do you have a cure for cancer all knowledge is relational and getting to know but you also have to know yourself and be comfortable with who you are and both the positive like of just being honest with who you are english is a brilliant language just not when it comes to the description of pleasure. That's not its talent. Yet, one of the greatest privileges of my life has been the opportunity to learn it. Like all languages, English is inventive and colorful and expressive and powerful and, in the end, fascinating. And what I find most fascinating about it is the way it engages the brain in a manner that none of the other languages that I know does. Science, mathematics, finance, Pursuits of the head. I find English to be the world's quintessential language of the intellect. When I need money, I speak English. <laughs> Faster than the speed of sound. I generally get it. When I try to make money in Cree, by comparison, I go hungry. 
Cree is terrible when it comes to making money. But laughter, hysteria, unzippered, unbound, uncorked, that's Cree's genius. Like all languages, English has its limits. It's Achilles' heel. It's one weakness, it stops at the neck. Anything below it is terra incognita, or at least terra periculosa, which means dangerous in Italian. Otisk, a Cree word considered off limits in English. The inoffensive posterior is the closest I can get. Nichisk, kichisk, otisk. My posterior, your posterior, his, her posterior. In one language, harmless enough. In fact, quite chaste, but nowhere near funny. In the other language, hysterical. Kichisk. The syllables alone are like a tickle in the... Well, let's not go there. It's too much fun. Inside the polytheistic and pantheistic superstructures, the words mean pleasure. Ask Aphrodite, ask Wisayachak, the Cree trickster. Inside the monotheistic superstructures, by contrast, the speaker of the words has just set one foot inside the garden, the garden of pleasure, the garden of joy, the garden of beauty that is the human body, below the neck, unclothed and unhidden. You're listening to Ideas on CBC Radio 1 in Canada, across North America on Sirius XM, in Australia on ABC Radio National, and around the world at cbc.ca slash ideas. You can also hear Ideas on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Nala Ayed. When faced with the complex moral questions the world tends to throw our way, it's easy to feel overwhelmed. My name is Waleed Ali. And I'm Scott Stevens. We're the hosts of The Minefield, an ABC Australia podcast. And each week we try to navigate the moral complexities of modern life in a way that's unexpected, unpredictable, intellectually serious, but more than a little fun. Along the way, we're joined by a range of philosophers and thinkers who promise to help you see the world and the challenges we face in a different light. You can listen to The Minefield wherever you get your podcasts. The monotheistic world of two genders is black and white, but the whole world cries out for color, and we two spirits bring that color. Every family should be so blessed as to have at least one such person. On the Vancouver stop of the 2022 Massey Lectures Tour, playwright, author, and musician Thompson Highway examined sex and gender through the lens of Cree mythology and how strictly defined gender roles were imposed on Indigenous people by Christian missionaries and institutions. During his stop in Vancouver, I spoke with Thompson about Indigenous conceptions of sex and gender, and we were joined by two other people. Harlan Pruden is a Two-Spirit activist and co-founder of the Two-Spirit Dry Lab, a health research institute in Vancouver. And Sasha Mark is a Cree Métis comedian and activist. Here's a bit of Sasha's stand-up from 604 Studios in Vancouver. So, like, I, I had this guy come up to you, and all my friends called him the Justin Trudeau boyfriend. Um, I know. 
We called him that because, uh, you know, very handsome, very handsome. Uh, he also worked uh, for the government, and he kept trying to put his pipeline in places that didn't belong, you know? <laughs> uh, I, went, I went to uh, Kelowna one time, and uh, I went there to a friend's cabin, and then we were, uh, we decided to play with the Ouija board. Do you know what a Ouija board is? Yes. Yeah, it's like a board game that you use to contact um, things that are dead, you know, like, dead family members, dead celebrities, Justin Trudeau's relationship with indigenous people right now. Um, sorry, too political. <laughs> but uh, we were playing this Ouija board and like, we we're like asking a very basic question. We're like, okay, uh, is there a ghost here? No response. We're like, okay, uh, ghost, uh, do you have a name? No response. We're like, ghost, are you like a good ghost or like a bad ghost? You know? Mm. Uh, no response. We're like, okay, so we got ghosted. Don't laugh at that. That was gross. That was gross. Don't laugh at that. That was a dad joke, right? I didn't have a dad. So, like, you know, I'm trying. My name's Sasha Mark. Thank you so much. Sasha Mark kicked off the second part of our conversation by noting how hard it is for queer Indigenous comedians to find a mainstream audience. When we think about, you know, everybody in this room, who's your favorite Indigenous queer comedian on Netflix right now? You. I'm not on there. I'm not on there. <laughs> not, not yet. Not, oh, not yet. Never yeah. say never. Never. never, say but, never. The, but the reality is it's, it's zero. And it's not yeah. because it's the lack of funny indigenous queer people. You know, we've, we said it before. Like, we're really funny. We're some of the funniest people on the planet. And it, it's not because of lack of it. It's just... I think there's multiple facets. You know, we live in a world that really limits marginalized folks to enter any kind of field. And it is built for a system for um, white folks to succeed, especially like white men, you know, especially within the comedy field. You know, as somebody, you know, back in Winnipeg, part of the reason why I had to leave is that, um, you know, I, I had a lot of opportunities there and it was really great, you know, um, but a lot of it was also governed by white men who, A, didn't agree with a lot of my philosophies, but also I would get a lot of crumbs. Mm -hmm. So, like, I had to move out here for, for additional work to make something happen. And are you getting that here? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's been a lot. It's, moving to Vancouver has been the best decision did, I've made. Did, did you know that when you first entered comedy? Did you know about the fact that you were going to end up with crumbs or that there would be these challenges in your uh, road that wouldn't be in front of others in this country? 100%. I think, I think when you grow up, you kind of just notice that there's going to be challenges in all your fields from everything from, you know, when you grow up queer, you're already challenged. You, mm -hmm. There's already a challenge. When you grow up Indigenous, um, there's already challenges in that front. So, um, you know, whether it's a job, education, university, comedy, uh, of course there's challenges. I'm curious whether you feel some of the racism also even within the LGBTQ community. Oh, 100%. Oh, 100%. Goodness. You know, all levels of racism. Harlan, you immediately reacted to that question. Yeah, because I know for Two-Spirit people, again, there's this Buddhist saying, you know, where the greatest, where the brightest light is the darkest shadow. And I'd like to step into the shadow of the diversity mm. in that for as a Two-Spirit community organizer, that's code for activists, <laughs> dreaming of better tomorrows. <laughs> when you say, when I roll in and say that I'm a Two-Spirit activist, people are like, what? So I say, I'm a community organizer. <laughs> is um, My work is working with my, my non-Indigenous LGBT queer non-binary relatives to take on racism. 
because that system is built on a house of cards, froth with colonization that is built with inequities and racism is well and alive. Like I worked at the LGBT community center in New York city in the department of public policy rife. And if you look at like many of our major LGBT organization, white gay men, and then we want diversity. Let's get a white lesbian, white. Rarely do we have people of color within leadership positions. Rarely do we have indigenous people within those higher echelons within the LGBT community. And I want to hold up that mirror to my relatives and say, no, that is not right. Then we must turn and we return back to our indigenous communities, both within urban and non-urban. And we must face and challenge homophobia and transphobia, and which is the legacies of these colonizations that have like been forced upon us. We think that those are our ways. I want to just change tack a little bit here and Harlan ask you about a story that um, I think is seminal to this conversation. In your presentations, you talk about a boy named Tom Torlino. Can you tell me who he was and why you talk about him? Tom Torino was Navajo or Diné, a product of the residential school of the Carlisle Indian Industrial School. And um, I have within my presentation uh, two photos that were taken between 1882 and uh, three years later in 1885. And it shows uh, a before and after picture of him being in Carlisle. Uh, in the left photo, it is him in his the just beauty of him being Navajo with long hair, with um, jewelry and adornment. And then the image on the right is the after picture, short cut hair above the ear is wearing a blazer, no adornment. Um, and it is that gender policing that existed and the fashioning of what is man and masculinity from a Western perspective. Because the before picture, he looked like a Navajo man. Now, I don't know whether or not Tom was a Natalie. I don't know if he was two-spirit or not. But it is the gendering and the gender policing that existed within the residential boarding schools. Mm-hmm. In which that there was only room for their two genders. Western conceptions of gender. What Thompson has been talking yes. so eloquently about. Yeah. And the gender policing that still happens... And it happens right now for our trans relatives, you know, and that there's that gender policing of because they're not conforming or what we say is, you know, also for bisexuals, that they're not conforming to our conceptions and introduce these ways, these non-Indigenous ways of these inequities. Yeah, when God God as man arrived here in 1492, that's what what it goes back to. And and and, 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 and what we do now, what we're trying to do now as a community of uh, two-spirit artists uh, and there's a lot of non, uh, non like heterosexual friends who are support us fully in our work. Is basically trying to give, uh, to put it in mythological terms, putting, putting, giving the goddess, our Mother Earth, back her rightful place mm-hmm. on the, beside God the Father, on the, you know, on the throne. We wanted to give her her dignity back because she has been robbed of it. And uh, and we're coming now to a point in our collective history as a race, where that uh, the God, but to put it bluntly, God as man is about to destroy the planet, and we will all lose in it. There will be there will be no earth for our grandchildren to inherit if things go on this way, and it's as serious as that. That's why we're here. I'm here anyway to put to give the goddess back 
her place of dignity and respect. I want to tie some like things together of like just some streams because I think we as indigenous people because we're we have a we don't think in binaries. You know, for our medicine wheel, it's a four-point logic system. Some nations have a six-point logic system. And so we talk in circles and and so this whole thing around our relationship to uh, our women folk, the gender violence, or to the great mother, our earth, right? That hurt people hurt. And so when I'm experiencing violence, yeah. it's because people, like on a deeply, deeply personal level, like I remember when I started my healing journey, like my mother, like I moved out on my own when I was 16, because it was safer for me to be on. I emancipated myself. I didn't run away. I emancipated myself. Because my mother, who was a product of a residential boarding school, struggled with her own alcoholism, struggled with, like, like, and I had such hatred for her. And it wasn't until I started looking at the residential schools, I realized that my mother was only doing that which she knew. She wasn't spoken with kindness. She didn't speak to us with kindness and love. She was beaten. She beat us. She was told that she was less than, and she internalized that message and carried that and the violence that she did to herself. Hurt people hurt. And I don't think that people understand that when we see the inequities of like settler colonial, perpetrating colonial violence on us, it's because they're hurt. And yet at the same time, I remember going way back in the 90s, I went to a health conference and I saw an elder. An elder. I went to this elder, offered a little tobacco and asked them about that word. And I remember him and his uh, helper, they're talking back and forth in Cree and I was following probably about a tenth of what they were saying. And then they came back. The elder said, ooh, I know the word. The word that you're looking for is uh, witigu. Now, witigu is this cannibalistic spirit, not a cool and I was like, huh, there's nothing honoring about a week to go, right? Um, and so I was like, I thanked them. And then I went and sat down. And so this elder then held up a sweet grass and said, you know, the sweet grass and the braiding is emblematic of the Holy Trinity. Then held up a, a medicine wheel and said that it was emblematic of the cross and Jesus dying. And what I immediately had to do was to go and offer a prayer <laughs> put a little tobacco down for this elder, which is hard. But again, hurt people hurt. And I don't think people understand that when we see them acting out in not kind ways, it is telling of how they have been treated. The system in which that there is this white heterosexual men walk around here and do violence that we must pray for them. And we look at them with pity, not for strength, not for power. I look at them with pity because I see that hurt people hurt. How hard is it to do that, Sasha? It's easier to hurt than to heal. It is easier to be racist than to acknowledge um, what you're doing is wrong and maybe your own thoughts and your own habits and the things that you were taught and learned that they're inherently wrong and not good for people. I don't give 
you know, white men the benefit of the doubt um, when it comes to interactions with them. You know, I, I find myself to be very guarded. Um, so I think my time is more spent with uh, a lot of women, a lot of queer folks, a lot of BIPOC folks, um, and nourishing and developing those relationships rather than um, rather than participating in any kind of relationship. For my comedy show, so my rule of thumb is my maximum amount of comedians that will book that are white straight men is one. Uh, because it's like, A, those shows are everywhere. And then secondly, too, it's, I think it's just more fun for me to like engage with um, women and queer folks and folks who are trans and folks who are BIPOC. And um, it just feels like it's community and home. For Sasha's point, I like, I'm fully supportive of that. And for many, many years, my work was with and for, and still is with and for the two-spirit community. And it has been an incredible, like I was called upon by President Obama uh, to the U.S.'s Presidential Advisory Council on HIV and AIDS, where at these high-level conversations of like looking at uh, prevention, care, and treatment around HIV and making sure that that was inclusive of Indigenous and Two-Spirit people, right? But there were some powerful teachings that I got from, because I was like standing outside of government and I was like throwing rocks, right? <laughs> and standing with community of just like, and then when I got appointed and started being, I had to catch, throw the rock and catch myself and become this solution-based. And then when I landed here in this beautiful Coast Salish territory, and, uh, and accepted a position at the BC Center for Disease Control, and I was recruited to do two-spirit work. And so I was like, I'm going to set up a two-spirit program, and I'm going to do this. But then I looked around, and there's some amazing, um, like we have one of the oldest two-spirit organizations here in this country, like uh, the Native, uh, Greater Vancouver Native Cultural Society. There's the Four Feather Society. There's the Eagle Society. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ooh, I will be in direct competition with them and I'll be unfairly resourced because I'm government. Mm-hmm. And then I sat back and I was like, where does homophobia and transphobia dwell? There's elements of internalized homophobia and transphobia, but that's a part of our healing journey. And we will get and write once you get to know who yourself is. Right. So I was like, mm. and there are other people that are doing that work. Mm-hmm. And I was like, where homophobia and transphobia dwell is within our cisgendered, straight, um, native people. And so we have a men's health program. And through vulnerability, I remember going to this gathering. There were 40 Indigenous men. We hosted it. It's called Nation to Nation, 11 different nations, men working within their community around health. And I remember being around their sacred fire. And I was like, listen, listen, Linda, listen. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I can. And I knew this is like, three years into this relationship and working with the men, right? And I was like, you know, years ago, you all would have been beating me up. Is this a safe space? And then later that afternoon, I had to do my two-spirit talk, what and who is two-spirit. And I ran over time. And I was like, I want to be respectful of your time. I can, can I? And they were like, by all means, finish, right? And, um, and then when we turned to the discussion, one of our most respected leaders within our, our program, Buckshot, um, Southern Statlium, looked to all of the men, the 39 other men, and said, men, as, as we are working for health, what is our responsibility to signal to our two-spirit relatives that they are welcome in our program? That was the conversation. Mm-hmm. And so... I waffle, but my work is to work with our straight 
cisgendered men and women to create space so that we can be for that possibility of that. But it's also being vulnerable of I'm scared. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but the vulnerability is the strength of being honest of who I am. Yes. And it's a, it's mm-hmm. neither system is prioritized. Both must happen. We must empower. We must come together in community, but we also must engage with those very folks that would have beaten the crap out of me. And, but we're now in good relations. And now I have 40 men across the province that know what Two-Spirit is, but they're living and embedded in their community. Wow. The young warriors, there was, they were sitting around the campfire and someone was like, that's gay, fag. And immediately the warriors that were at that thing were like, no, no, no. And then what they did was they retold all of the teachings that they got from of that presentation. Incredible. It's actually a, an excellent segue to our final question, which I'd like to ask all three of you, and we don't have a ton of time, so a short, a short answer from each of you, if you don't mind. But Harlan, I'll start with you. In um, another stereotype that Thompson thinks we in the media help maintain, and that is that we reduce Indigenous people and their experiences to simply being victims, us in the media. And so this is a chance for us to try to correct the record and maybe an opportunity to change that and break away from that stereotype. So can you tell me in your own words just how amazing it is to be Indigenous and queer? Oh my gosh. Well, first of all, I just want to say we're not supposed to be here. Sasha, Thompson, myself. If the colonial project was to succeed, we are not supposed to be here. If the colonial project was to have succeeded... And I know that people, there is this victim narrative that plays out. You pick up any policy paper. You pick up any research product. White people are always the control. And we are always compared to the... And so we're always going to have like greaterly impacted by HIV, lesser social determinants of health. Because white people are the control. That we're, there's a measuring stick, right? Since 1491, we've been bucking against this. Every breath I take is an act of survival. Every exhale is an act of resistance. Us simply breathing makes us activists. And is a reminder of a system that predates your system by a millennium. And it is a system that is based on honesty, truth, courage, love, humility, respect. We know our strength because we're here today and 531 years of colonization. And we are here to sing our stories, to sing our songs, to say, we know we're here. Breathing makes us activists. Sasha. I love being indigenous and queer. You know, there's so much laughter. There's so much kindness. There's so much generosity. There's so many brave people. Um, There's stories of resilience and power. And I feel like those stories are missing. There's stories that still haven't been told. um, While we're also telling the same friggin' stories on all of these segments and all of these things. And there's beautiful stories that we're just not even aware of. Y'all are missing out. I'll just say that. <laughs> Thompson, the last words for you. Oh, okay. Well, first of all, uh, being uh, whatever whatever it is I am, I don't really like labels. 
is there's always a challenge. You know, life is a challenging thing. You know, nobody can live through life without a challenge. And I love challenges. I like beating them. It gives me gives my life spark and excitement. And climbing the climbing the mountain, so to speak. You know, the steeper the climb, the more exciting the climb, and the, and the greater the vista once you get to the top. Terry Fox said it best when he said, "It's not supposed to be easy." You know, if it was easy, I would put it in humble brackets. I would put it in hum- humbly in brackets. If it was easy, it, pro- it would probably not be worth doing. That's one thing. Second thing is that uh, I love I love white people. <laughs> I do. I love that. I have a lot of friends, and, and they're, they're both, uh, both all kinds of genders. But, oh, you know the, you know the ones I like best? Are the, are the bisexuals. Yeah. Oh, my God, they're so much fun. <laughs> anyway, uh, and uh, they're so adventurous. And, uh, and it's not that I want to have sex with every heterosexual man that comes along. I just want to hug them, that's all, forever. I just want to lie, lie in a bed, fully clothed, and just, <laughs> hug them, and just lie them, sleep with them, that's all. Sex is so overrated, you know? Honest to God. And the third thing I want to say is that it, it is a very, very exciting thing to be a two-spirit. Okay, I'll tell you something. That, that if you are normally the best partiers, the most exciting partiers, the most passionate partiers in any given community are A, the show business people, the theater people, B, the uh, native people, and C, the gay people. And when you put all three of them into one person yeah. like me, boy, I, it, is, it, is, it, is, it is electrifying. I'll tell you something, it is electrifying, it is never boring. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Within the full circle of indigenous mythology, the universe is not divided into that which is male, female, and neuter, but according to that which is animate and that which is inanimate, that which has a soul and that which has not. According to the system, woman has a soul, as does a man, as does a bear, as does a cow, as does a tree, as does a rock, the defining article being anna. And so you have anna is squeal. The woman, Ananapio, the man, Anamasqua, the bear, Anamostos, cow, Anasiti, the tree, Anasini, the rock. They are all animate, they all have souls, and there is most explicitly no hierarchy, no straight line, no phallic design. There is instead a full circle, a yonic design. Yonic, a word from Sanskrit the sacred language of Hindu philosophy and of the historical texts of Buddhism. It means vagina-like. All these animate beings sit on one side of the circular debating table, and because they all, as with the Greek gods and goddesses, sit at the same level, they have an equal voice in the discussion. At this table, a woman is most assuredly not the rib bone of her husband. In fact, if anyone is a rib bone of anyone, It is the husband of his wife. The only way to remove the soul from these beings is to kill them, at which point the defining article becomes anima. Both men and women become anima mio, the corpse. The bear becomes anima anaskan, the carpet. The cow becomes anima wias, 
the meat. The tree becomes animati tapuin, a chair. That is, a chair is a tree with a soul removed. And the rock becomes anima miskano, a sidewalk. When you apply this equation to the various parts of the human body individually, you find very quickly that each and every one of them has no soul. They are all inanimate, mere lifeless objects. Anima mistiguan, the head. Anima michiichi, the hand. Anima misit, the foot. Anima watte, the stomach. Anima miti, the heart. They all have no soul, no spirit. Even the penis by itself has no soul. The testicles do, however, but that's because the key word for them is asiniac, which means the rocks. <laughs> the only two parts of the human body that by themselves have a soul are the womb and the vagina. And there lies the seed of the idea that divinity is female. That idea lies at the very core of our languages and thus our mythological superstructure. That's where lies the seed of the idea of matriarchy. That's where exists and exists most vividly the uppercase F of female. Right smack dab at the heart of that circle, that womb, that garden of beauty. Thompson Highway is an author, playwright, musician, and was the 2022 CBC Massey Lecturer. Sasha Mark is a stand-up comedian, and Harlan Pruden is a two-spirit activist, educator, and co-founder of the Two-Spirit Dry Lab, a health research institute in Vancouver. A big thank you to the Vancouver Public Library for donating space for our conversation. You can hear Thompson Highway's full Massey lectures on our website, cbc.ca slash ideas. This episode was produced by Matthew Lazen Ryder. Technical production, Nicholas Bonin. Web producer, Lisa Ayuso. Senior producer, Nicola Lukšić. Greg Kelly is the executive producer of Ideas, and I'm Nala Ayed. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.